Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. From the Society for Nautical Research, in partnership with Lloyd's Register Foundation, I'm Sam Willis, and this is the Mariner's Mirror podcast, the world's number one podcast dedicated to all of maritime history. Welcome, everybody, to the Mariner's Mirror podcast, and this, the start of a new mini-series on the history of maritime innovation. Today, we begin with propellers. This episode was inspired by the discovery of an image of a curious propeller in the archive of the Lloyd's Register Foundation. It was called the De Bay Propeller. And rather than having blades, as you might expect, on a propeller, it had two kind of interlocking blades. It's surprisingly difficult to explain, but here we go. The DeBay propeller was invented in 1876. It consisted of two screws, one with four and one with five blades, and portions of each blade were cut out. Now, the screws were fixed on two shafts. One was tubular, one was solid, so they interlinked. And that allowed the screws to revolve in opposite directions so that the solid portions of each blade passed through the gaps cut out in the other. I hope you're still following me. The design was intended to make the propeller more efficient by forcing water directly backwards in line with the keel. And initial trials did prove Mr. DeBay's claims. Ships fitted with the propeller were swift, they handled well, they made huge savings in fuel, created no sidewash and little vibration. All good, it seems. And yet this propeller, this innovation, has still long been forgotten by history. Now, I wanted to make sense of this remarkable design, so we've created an animation showing exactly how it worked. So do please check that out on our Facebook, YouTube, Instagram and TikTok. And to put it into context, I also wanted to find out a little more about the broader history of propellers. To do that, we've created another general animation showing that broader history. And of course, this is where this audio episode also comes in. To find out more about the history of propellers, I spoke with the excellent Joanna Mathers, Head of Collections at the SS Great Britain Trust in Bristol, and she was previously the Specialist Maritime Curator at the Trust for over a decade. Now, I'm sure you've heard of the SS Great Britain, but if you haven't, it is, of course, the wonderful iron-holed, steam-driven passenger liner, the largest passenger liner in the world at the time of her launch, designed by Isambard Kingdom Brunel. You can see her today in the very dock in which she was built in the 1840s, in the heart 
of Bristol. And she's important because of her important position in the history of, yes, you've guessed it, propellers. We've also recorded a very good episode dedicated to the SS Great Britain as one of our iconic ships. So do please go back into the back catalogue and listen to that. Enough from me. As ever, I hope you enjoy listening to her as much as I enjoy talking with her. Here is the brilliant Joanna. Joanna, thank you very much indeed for talking with me today. That's absolutely right. It's 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 absolutely great to be here and love it. <laughs> <laughs> I've been um been thinking more and more about the history of propulsion, and one thing that strikes me is how difficult it is for us to imagine a time when it didn't exist. Yes, I mean, it's, funnily enough, though, with kind of modern uh, technology um, uh, and kind of costs of fuel and everything, you know, shipping is thinking of going back to sail, aren't they? But you know, we've we've lived with um, with kind of motor engine powered ships now for well, uh, well over two hundred years. Yeah. Well, take me through the sort of the early development of the propeller. What kind of period did this happen in? Well, I mean, you know, the history of the propeller starts really, really early on. I mean, famously, the Archimedean screw kind of started with the Greek philosopher, mathematician, engineer, whatever you would like to call him, Archimedes, what is it, about 200 BC? So, you know, the kind of the history of the propeller as such starts really, really early on. But I think um, I actually had a little look and I started, I tried to find out what the very first kind of form of floating or, you know, kind of marine vessel was that had a screw propeller attached. And, And the earliest I could find is a funny little thing called, actually in America, in 1776, a guy called Bushnell um, kind of created this submersible uh, little, it almost looks like a little barrel that you could submerse, uh, kind of submerge and then um, uh, to try and attach explosives to the underside of, of British Navy vessels. And that had a two-bladed screw propeller to kind of propel it through the water. I don't think it was hugely efficient, but, um, but you know, kind of, if you want to go right back, that's, I think, the first application of the screw propeller in, in any kind of floating vessel. Um, it's interesting, isn't it? The American Revolution is a, is a period of a lot of invention, actually, yeah. um, the 1770s uh, in particular. So someone somewhere had given it a bit of thought. And often, you know, these inventions, they don't actually come completely out of the blue. So there must have been some chat about it. Yes, yeah. I mean, you know, I think, you know, there's lots of um, people throughout history who have played around with the idea of propellers. I mean, we know of, I think, not not necessarily with ships, but obviously with other kind of using propellers in kind of other um, environments. I mean, we know that um, I think da Vinci... um, I think designed a kind of de facto helicopter with a propeller. So you know that it's there's the propeller and kind of that technology and the ideas around it have been around for a very very long time. Um, and then obviously the natural step is to try and apply it to to ships. Um, but um, you know with with kind of windmills already using a form of kind of sails or propeller to kind of grind grain and all that kind of stuff. So um, I think it's it's interesting because that initially the first application of propellers at sea really were kind of they were hampered by a lack of source of energy to power them so you have various different designs and people trying to apply propellers in small vessels where they where the propellers are and the screws are kind of um driven through gears kind of um, powered by the crew um but then you know that you can only go so far because at some point the the person powering that propeller is exhausted <laughs> 
Um, so it is. It is um, obviously uh, in, linked to the development of the steam engine. Yeah, very much so. I think because you do need a source that actually powers that machine. You know, you need you need a source to power the screw um, of the ship. And I think when you then have almost like the 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 starting of of um, steam uh, development of steam at sea with then um, especially in the 1830s when you suddenly have that massive opening up of um, steamships suddenly crossing the North Atlantic you then start having steamships going back and fro uh, to and fro between um, North America and Britain you suddenly have that signal shot of of saying you know steam is here and it's starting to be applied kind of around the world we can open up the world with this you then start to have people in their you know in their hundreds starting to look at propellers and the application of propellers at sea to steamships um i think the 1830s it was that I, I i don't know exactly how many patents were taken out but there were so many patents in britons that were that were taken out just on various designs of screw propellers um, i should say now um for our, our listeners we've just working on an animation for um, which brings one of these strange propeller inventions to life called the Debray propeller. So it's not, um, well, let's say the, the, the Archimedes screw, it looks like a corkscrew, yes. doesn't it? Yeah. And then you've got the two-bladed propeller. We're talking about the uh, Bushnell's design. And then what we might imagine to be a three-bladed propeller, sort of a normal design. Mm. Um, but this guy called Debray invented this mad thing. <laughs> and it's kind of like an interlocking two. It, it's it's kind of unbelievably complicated yeah. and no one knows anything about it. So we've decided to bring it to life. So listeners, do please check out our YouTube channel, TikTok and Instagram. You'll be able to see that. Um, so let's just go back to what these propellers look like, because that's going to lead us on to uh, the wonderful propeller at the SS Great Britain. Um so initially a screw, then this double-bladed, but the, the the triple-bladed propeller is the one that we might all have have in our minds. Yeah, I think so, and I think I mean there's um, there's so many different designs. Um, you know, people were playing around with um, kind of uh, kind of an Archimedean screw, then with three-bladed propellers, but also with kind of almost like double pro- propellers interlocking, um, kind of next to each other. So I think, um, well, in Britain, the, the well and truly the starting shot for, for screw propulsion came in 1836 with the uh, patent that Francis Pettit Smith took out. But the same year, also Captain Ericsson took out his, his patent. And um, he, his propeller was kind of like a weird, uh, kind of quite weird-looking um kind of almost a, a a different version of an Archimedean screw with kind of two parallel uh, propellers working, interlocking with each other. Um, and Francis Pettit-Smith went much more down the, what we would now call the traditional route of kind of like a, a, a three-bladed propeller, which looks kind of what we would recognise as a propeller nowadays. And along comes Brunel. Along he must have been rub- rubbing his hands with glee, saying, do you know, you know... A, or, or, or you know, having done having done the railways, he's like at yeah. some point I'm gonna I'm gonna sort out the propeller. So how, when when did he first get involved? Well, it's it's interesting because I think um, what we have to say what what I always try tend to say about Brunel is that he was not necessarily that much of an inventor himself. He saw other people's inventions, saw the potential in them, and then made them work. So by no means uh, did Brunel invent kind of the modern marine propeller, screw propeller at all. Um, He was, I think his first potential contact with a screw propeller was actually a small training boat that Francis Pettit Smith was kind of testing his propellers on. And that boat um, towed the Great Western, Brunel's first um, ship, a wooden paddle steamer. 
um, into the um, India docks in London to have her engines fitted. So that is, he sees the screw propeller there for the first time with his traditional wooden paddle steam. Well, it's, you know, one of the first steamships to cross the North Atlantic and actually the arguably the first um, successful liner as such, you know, connecting North America and, and Britain across the North Atlantic. But, um, you know, he sees that kind of screw, screw propeller there. And then later on, he gets to thinking about building a sister ship for the Great Western. Um, obviously, can't stay, can't just build the same thing again, because that's just not what you do if you're Brunel. So instead of a wooden paddle steamer, he builds an iron-hulled paddle steamer, the Great Britain. But then again, in 1839, uh, Francis Pettit Smith comes into Bristol with his newly designed um, steamship Archimedes with a screw propeller. Um, and to be fair, I mean, uh, Francis Pettit Smith is still very much playing around with different designs of propeller at that stage. But he has built this custom built ship with a screw with screw propulsion. Brunel sees it, gets absolutely hooked on it and actually rents the whole thing for a couple of months to run his own tests. He tests eight different designs of propellers that he comes up with on the Archimedes just to I mean it's a proper scientific investigation of the screw propeller and its efficiency um how it works um the materials you need uh, the different designs how it all works what the shape of the ship has to be to make the propeller work properly um and um and based on that investigation with Francis Pettit Smith's ship um, he then, and, and his various des- um, kind of tests on eight different designs of propeller, he then proposes to the Great Western Steamship Company directors to change the Great Britain, which is already, the hull is already pretty much finished construction. They even started the construction of the paddle engines for the ship. Basically, he says, stop it all. I've got this amazing idea of changing this ship to um, a screw propeller instead of paddle wheels. So... Um, he very much kind of sees the potential of that new technology emerging emerging, and not being somebody to hang about. He basically says, yes, this is working. I've run my tests. I'm absolutely convinced the screw propeller is the future of, of, of ocean going steamships. Uh, let's do it now and not hang about and wait for anybody else to do it before us. Um, so, so yes, he, he, he basically, it's not, yeah, the screw propeller, the, the kind of modern marine screw propeller is not Brunel's invention by any means, but he saw the technology, played with it, investigated it scientifically, and then applied it to, well, not just any ship, but the biggest ship in the world that he's just he's about to launch, basically. <laughs> and the most irony ship yeah. in the world as well. Um, so... It's interesting, isn't it? We, we've got the the Great Western, so uh, a paddle ship. So got two huge paddle wheels either side, yeah. but it's also got sails. Yes. And then the Great Britain. Um, so he's changed the design from a paddle ship to a screw uh, propelled ship with a propeller, uh, but that also has sails. So we should just talk a little bit about this transition period when propellers existed, but as only one option of being able yeah, to drive a ship. I think, I mean, I think steamships carried sails probably into the 1870s, if not even sometimes into the 1880s. And I think that very much um, has to do, well, not just with the propeller or with the paddle wheels, but also just with the reliability of the steam technology and also the efficiency of, of, of steam engine, of marine steam engines. So um, I think carrying sail was basically just a backup in case that the kind of new and still fairly untested technology of marine um, kind of steam propulsion was 
properly ironed out and and uh, I mean it took until the 1870s to develop you know triple expansion and, and kind of come in with much more efficient boilers and, and kind of uh, engines so until then um, sales were there as a backup um, just in case or um, as many skeptics and probably more traditional mariners would have argued um, in case you ran out of coal in the middle of the ocean <laughs> yeah, which is a serious problem yeah <laughs> I mean, you're you're all right in Bristol because you've got a great deal of coal in Wales, yeah. so it's not too far away, but not so not so good if you're halfway around the world. And then they developed coaling stations and they made yeah. made that all possible. But um, so one of the issues he he wrestled with then was to have a you've got a propeller mm. on essentially a sailing ship. So if you're not using your propeller. What do you do with it? Because it just does kind of get in the way. What was his solution? Well, he actually, for the very first incarnation, how the ship was launched, he, well, his solution to that that was actually to develop a a sailing rig that worked alongside his propeller. So uh, the Great Britain was launched effectively as a six-masted, um, schooner, so she has four and aft sails apart from all on uh, apart from the main mast, um, which is square rigged, and that that uh, rigging or that kind of sail plan was developed by engineers to work alongside the engines to make it more more efficient. Later on, when the sh- so she's mainly designed as a steamship. Um, that was the decision made right at the start. The sails are there for backup or to improve the efficiency of the engines just to make sure that they actually reduce the amount of coal they need. But later on, when the ship is then converted um, for the Australia run to carry passengers to Australia, she then becomes a steam assist sailing ship. So she's the, she's mainly a sailing ship, three-masted square rigged, quite traditional, but the propeller is still there to um, basically help out if there's adverse weather or um, if they get stuck, um, you know, in the doldrums or something like that. Um, but what they then did was actually to create a lifting frame. So by that point, the ship has a two-bladed propeller, which can then be put in the upright horizontal position. And with a lifting frame in which it is fitted, you retract the shaft and you basically retract the whole frame with the propeller inside the hull into, into the stern frame of the ship um, to reduce drag. So basically, at that point, because the purpose of the ship changed and her usage changed, um, and she was mainly a sailing ship, they created that kind of retracting propeller later on in her life. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. 
Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's a similar design to the retracting propeller on HMS Warrior. So yeah. for those of you listening, there's um, we did an animation of the HMS Warrior's uh, a ship plan, and that shows how the propeller raised up. Um, we should do one for the SS Great Britain. Yes. I think that would make make a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about the actual design because you said that by this stage there was a two bladed propeller. Mm. Now, if you um, go to Bristol, I would urge all of you to um, immediately book yourself a train ticket to Bristol to go and look at the SS Great Britain. You'll see the um, somewhat magnificent propeller which is not a two-bladed propeller i don't know how many blades it has but it has very many yes. it's like a fan <laughs> yeah so this was his original design yes wasn't yeah it? so um if you visit the, the great britain in bristol you can go down into the dry dock underneath the ship and we have created a replica of the original um brunel designed six-bladed propeller um, so that is currently fitted on the ship as she is in the dry dock. We do have a replica of her last two-bladed propeller for the Australia run also in the museum because the original lifting frame for that has survived. It's on display in the museum and we've created the two-bladed propeller um, kind of a replica in there just to illustrate how it how it worked. Um, but uh, the, 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 six, the Brunel design six-bladed propeller is on the ship. So... Um, the, it's kind of quite ingenious in that he doesn't he doesn't just use the propeller he also uses the kind of technology of um, a balanced rudder behind the propeller so the propeller is is positioned forward off the rudder which is obviously a crucial step that was a, a huge argument that was going on at the time as well where exactly do you position the propeller on your ship um, for or after of the of the off the rudder but it's a six-bladed screw positioned forward off the off a balanced rudder it is um i've written this down so i can give you accurate figures it is 15 <laughs> feet six inches in diameter um it's huge it's huge it's absolutely huge it's 25 it has a 25 foot pitch um so initially they kind of made the boss of uh, in several parts then welded the six wrought iron blades to the boss um uh, kind of the six the six wrought iron arms to the boss, then milled them off flat at right angles to the propeller axis, and then they, in the end, they, as if that wasn't enough, they then riveted kind of the end bits, almost like palms, to the ends of the six blades to finish off the whole propeller. And actually, those six palms at the very outside of the propeller are the ones are kind of the area of the propeller that. Um, uh, that is the those are the parts that have the most impact on propelling the ship forward. Um, so it's yeah, it's a it's it's a huge propeller. I think um, I looked it up, and the finished weight of the propeller at the time was three point eight five tons. It's a beast. It's absolutely humongous. <laughs> um, 
Did it work? Yeah, well, yes. Um, when the ship was salvaged from the Falkland Islands in 1970 and they started investigating the original Brunel design, they actually did some uh, tank tests um, of a model um, in, in a tank, in a testing tank, and tested the propeller. And they found to their great astonishment that Brunel's design was not far off in efficiency to modern day propellers. It was, it was, uh, it was a really well-designed propeller. Um, what let it down, it, it only lasted, well, one and a half voyages to New York um, with um, four of the six um, arms shearing off um, halfway to New York. Um, but what let it down was basically the material it was made of. The, the wrought iron of the time just wasn't up to scratch to kind of withhold those those pressures that were that were being created um, on on the propeller blades. So um, after just one well one or two voyages to New York, they replaced it with <laughs> a backup four bladed propeller. So I think Brunel um, designed the six bladed propeller, which was uh, which was amazing and, and was really efficient and was working really well but he must have had an inkling that maybe he ought to better have quite a solid backup just in case anything happened so before the ship was even launched he created he, he commissioned this backup propeller for the ship which was a solid cast iron four-bladed uh, four-bladed four screw propeller um, and that was then fitted um, on her third voyage to New York um, when basically the six-bladed propeller came back with only two blades. Um, and then after that, actually also before she then changed her role to, to, uh, to the Australia run, she then ended up finally having a three-bladed propeller. So um, even though Brunel had done a lot of investigation and a lot of calculation with his propellers and, and tested everything to the absolute maximum, um, it was still a work in progress. He was very much still playing around. So they started with six blades, went down to four, and then eventually three. Um, so it was still... It's interesting, isn't it? Because we, you don't have ships with six-bladed fan-type propellers no. now. So although, however efficient and good Brunel might have thought it was, it, it, it clearly isn't that brilliant a design. Well, no. <laughs> no, and I think... I think um, it, it's difficult, isn't it? Because he's applying a very new technology to not just any ship, but the largest ship in the world. So how do you make sure that you design something um, that not just guarantees the ship to get from Liverpool to New York and back, but also that powers um, the largest ship in the world where some critics are arguing she can't even carry enough coal to get her to New York, you know? So he's, he's, he's basically, well, you know, if you like, um, you know, just testing the waters and it's incredible that he's willing to take that risk but also mm. to convince his investors and the directors of the company to take that risk um, um and i think i mean you know that there was huge there was huge controversy around it and i think on the maiden voyage of the great britain there were only about 30 or 40 passengers on board for a ship that had a capacity of over 130 so um it was just technologically so advanced and he was still playing around with technology um, that, yeah, just nobody knew exactly what would work and what wouldn't. No, and this is an era of boiler explosions. Oh, yes. <laughs> I should say. I mean, it's it's pretty dangerous. It's pretty dangerous stuff. Um, and I think being an engineer on one of these early ships, you're literally taking your life in your hands. Yeah, and, and, to, and just to also think about not only that, but also... 
that there was literally no training in marine in, uh, kind of how to be an engineer at sea because you had to I mean the only engineers were trained in you know factories on land and then suddenly you have to deal with all these kind of new technologies at sea where you have basically no spare parts and you have to patch things up as you go um so yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's actually a really good point so um Back in the days of the age of sail, when ships are made of wood, um, one of the advantages of a wooden ship is you can kind of there you can kind of mend it from another bit of the ship. Yeah, it's um, it's a bit like a I was to say it's like a, a pencil. So say you've got a pencil and you snap it in half. Okay, your pencil's broken, but then you can just sharpen it again, and you've got two pencils, yeah. and that kind of works. Yeah. Um, so there are constantly people making rudders from spars. It's all wood, but it's so different when you've got stuff that's made of iron how do you mend that well you kind of take bits wherever you can that doesn't make too much of a leak in the in the ship and and try and patch things up but but yeah it's it's i mean the the people the engineers who traveled in those um in those first steamships made of iron and then later steel i mean they must have been hugely innovative and kind of inventive and kind of ingenious and just patching things up as they went with whatever they had to hand yeah. It's interesting with his his next big ship, the SS, uh, the, the Great Eastern. Yeah. Um. He 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 builds a ship there which has got all three types of propulsion. It's got a propeller and paddle wheels <laughs> yes. and a sail. Yeah. So he's he's kind of he's gone back 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 a bit, isn't he? Yeah. Well, I think it's interesting when you look at the sketchbooks for the Great Eastern. Um. There is a sketch in one of his uh, sketchbooks. Um, here in the collection, where I do think he's starting to mull things over about twin props. So he's starting to think about having two propellers on the ship, kind of two... um, I mean, nowadays ships have two or three or even more propellers at the at the stern. But um, he's starting to play around with that idea of twin props, and then um, he also fits the fits the paddle wheels. And I'm not quite sure um, if you know how much of it has to do with propelling just a huge ship, because the Great Eastern is twice the size of the Great Britain. Again, um, I think there's no larger ship built than the Great East. I mean, she was launched in in uh, 18. 18- 58 um and there's no ship built larger than the great eastern until the 1880s i think um so well over 20 years and um um so i'm not quite sure how much of kind of the having both propellers and paddles has to do with just powering such a large ship but also obviously the advantage of paddle that paddles had over propellers is maneuverability because you have in the great eastern um, basically a spare engine powering the a separate engine powering the screw and then two engines paddling pa- powering the the paddle wheels so if you operate the paddles uh, kind of in opposite directions you can pretty much turn your ship on the spot uh, or in a very tight circle so it's also to do with maneuverability and kind of just how do you operate such a large ship that's interesting. So there are still advantages for the paddle wheels, and it's not a it's not a warship, so you haven't got the dangers of having having your your the, the one way you can manoeuvre attached to the side of your vessel. So it yes. makes it very vulnerable. Yes, yeah, indeed. Yeah. Um, and I suppose that the final thing I want to talk about is the there's the difference now with these big ships, um, that they have more than one propeller. Mm, yeah. Often, often you know two or three, and um, we need to see this. Having a single propeller is, is also is just a, a an early stage in the evolution of yes, propulsion. very much so, yeah. And I think nowadays, I mean, you know, the whole operate the way we the way ships are operated nowadays have changed entirely. In in the days of the Great Britain, you have these large steamships coming into port and docking and and kind of uh, kind of mooring up on 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 key sides and things like that. Whereas now, if you have those huge, I mean, yes, cruise ships still come into port, but they are very much kind of 
you know, navigated into place by by an army of small tugs and things like that. So those ships are very much designed for um, kind of uh, moving forward at sea um, and along coastal areas or whatever. But um, at the time, because you didn't have the port facilities um, in the 19, kind of mid 19th century, developed to a stage where that could where, where you had an army of tugs kind of like maneuvering you into place. Um, you also had to design a ship that not only could cross oceans, but also be um, manoeuvrable enough to basically navigate itself um, into port with a pilot on board. Yeah, all, all key questions of safety. Mm. Um, well, Joanna, it's been fascinating. Thank you very much for spending 20 minutes with us talking about the history of propellers. I've absolutely loved it. Yeah, it was brilliant. Thank you. Very many thanks for listening. Now, please, please don't just leave your important work with our podcast here. Please, in particular, check out the Mariner's Mirror podcast's YouTube channel, where you'll find some really extraordinary things to watch. Not least these 3D animations of the propellers I've been discussing, but also other animated 3D models, artificial intelligence, bringing ships' figureheads to life, the world's best ship models filmed with the very latest camera technology. The list goes on and on. This podcast comes from both the Lloyd's Register Foundation and the Society for Nautical Research, so do please check them both out. You can find the uh, Lloyd's Register Foundation at hec.lrfoundation.org.uk. That takes you directly to their historical archive. And the Society for Nautical Research at snr.org.uk, where, of course, you can join up, and I would urge you all to do so. There is a level of free membership, but if you pay a little bit, you get four copies a year of the Mariner's Mirror Journal, access to online and in-person events, and of course you get to become part of a very friendly society that has been helping to preserve maritime history and heritage for over a century, and that's something to be very proud of indeed. And you could also come to our dinner on board HMS Victory every year, and that is fantastic, I promise. Need new glasses or want a fresh new style? Warby Parker has you covered. Glasses start at just 95 bucks, including anti-reflective, scratch-resistant prescription lenses that block 100% of UV rays. Every frame's designed in-house, with a huge selection of styles for every face shape. And with Warby Parker's free home try-on program, you can order five pairs to try at home for free. Shipping is free both ways, too. Go to warbyparker.com covered to try five pairs of frames at home for free. WarbyParker.com slash covered. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. 
The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.